Let me just kind of say this, you know, I, I know all of us have really been horrified at what we've been watching and seeing on our televisions uh, just w with what is happening in Ukraine. I, I think the, the death and uh, the destruction and the, the d disruption of people's lives is just nothing short of, of heartbreaking. And, um, and so I just think we need to be continuing to pray for that situation. Um, it's interesting because one thing that's been inspiring, if, the, if, if you could have anything inspiring in that context, it would be really the courage and the resilience of the Ukrainian people, their, their willingness to fight. And, uh, and especially the courage and the, you know, just the resilience and the leadership of the president of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky. Uh, it's pretty amazing when you think about the fact that uh, this guy just three years ago was a comedian and an actor. He had no real leadership experience. Um, he had no political experience at all. And now he's, now he's the president. And uh, he has really become a very convincing wartime leader on, a world, on the world stage. And, and so there were a number of people in Ukraine and even across the world when he first became president, they, they didn't really buy into him. Uh, but man, people have bought into him now uh, because of his leadership. And I, I think what he's done is he's really rallied the nation uh, with his leadership and, and his video selfies as he is giving voice to uh, the anger and, and really the defiance of the Ukrainian people against Russian aggression. And, uh, and to do that in the face of overwhelming odds and danger. It's just, a, it's just incredible. And I think we, you know real leadership when you see it. And I think that's what we're seeing uh, happen right in front of us every day. And you just consider that the, the Russians have just leveled that country. They have just bombed it into oblivion. And they have sent death squads into uh, the city of Kiev, uh, bounty hunters to hunt him down and to kill him and his family. And he is still working in his office uh, leading the defense of his nation. Uh, President Biden called him and asked him, do you want us to airlift you out of Ukraine? We'll be glad to do that. He said, no, Mr. President, I don't need a ride. What I need is ammunition. And, um, and I, I think just from that kind of spirit, you see, you see the fact that he has gained so much support and uh, so many admirers and, and so many different fans every, every single day. And I would have to say that I'm a big fan of Zelensky, but here's the thing, I'm not a follower of his. And this is what I really want us to kind of think about today. There's a really big difference between a fan and a follower. You, you know, a fan is somebody that admires the accomplishments and the achievements of somebody else. But a follower is devoted. You know, when you think about a fan, they kind of sit back in the crowd and they applaud what somebody else does. But a follower surrenders her life. You know, Martin Luther King, back in the day, he had a lot of fans. But he didn't have as many followers who were willing to go all the way, who were willing to follow him into jail. And I think about Mother Teresa. She, uh, she's got a lot of fans. She's got a lot of admirers but not as many followers, people willing to, to live with the dying and the destitute. And so while I'm a fan of Zelensky, I, I'm really not willing to go to Ukraine and to follow him and to fight with him and, and 
perhaps even to die with him. And you know, it's, the, it's, it's really the same kind of thing with Jesus. There's a huge difference between being a fan of Jesus and being a follower of Jesus. And that's what I want us to talk about this morning. We are, we are in week two of a series that I've been calling The Hard Sayings of Jesus. And we, we are leading up to Easter. We're going to be focusing on some of the most difficult things, some of the most challenging things that Jesus ever said. The hardest things that, uh, that he really kind of laid upon us. And I think what many people don't realize is that, is that Jesus in his teaching and preaching made a lot of people uncomfortable. And he did this because he was always speaking to the heart of the issue. He always went right to the heart. And he exposes different things in his teaching. And so in the passage that we're going to look at this morning, it's, it's found right at the, the beginning of the Sermon Mount, but we're, but we're going to really kind of focus our time at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Because what he does is give us a series of warnings there. And what's fascinating about this series of challenging sayings and these series, series of warnings, that even though Jesus was very clear, people still loved to hear him teach. People marveled at his teaching. People were amazed at his teaching because he, he, he taught like no one else they ever heard before. He taught as though uh, he had authority because he did. And let, and let me just kind of give you a flavor for this. This is at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew recording the response of the crowd uh, to Jesus' teaching. This is Matthew 7, verses 28 and 29. Let me just show it to you. He says, Matthew records this. When, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he, he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And so what we see throughout the Gospels is people love, people love to hear him teach, even though he was very challenging. Even though he made them uncomfortable, they knew what he said was right and true. And so as a result of his teaching, there were a lot of people that were big fans of Jesus. There were a lot of people that followed him everywhere that he went. He had, he had large crowds of fans and admirers. But even within that large crowd, there was another smaller group. And these were his followers. These were people that when they heard Jesus speak, they were like, he's the one we've been waiting for. He's the one we've been looking for since the very beginning. And as they, as they processed his teaching and they, as they processed their life, Jesus' life, they, they knew that, that he is what they were longing for ever, ever since they realized they even had a longing. That, that, that they knew that it would only be through him that they would be cleansed and forgiven of their sin. They knew that it would only be through them that they would be set free from slavery to sexual desire and unhealthy habits or just really the fear of death. That it was through him that they, they, that they would find purpose and joy. And so, and so it was this, this group within this larger crowd that basically said, Jesus, we're going all in with you. Wherever you call us to go, we're willing to go. And whatever you call us to do, we're, we're willing to do. We're no longer fans of Jesus. We're followers of Jesus. And I think what we see at the end of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus challenging people with that very question. Are you going to be a fan of Jesus or are you going to be a follower of Jesus? That's what he's really trying to, 
to push us to really make a decision. Are we simply going to admire him or are we going to worship him? And so what he does is he gives us a series of these warnings of about of, of these two different ways that, that you can live. And what he does is he gives us several metaphors, uh, really just strong contrasts to help us see we got to make a choice. We got to make a decision. And so in this passage, you're going to you're going to see, because we're going to read it in just a moment, but he talks about two different gates, and he talks about two different paths, and he talks about two different kinds of trees, and two different kinds of fruit, and, and uh, he talks about two kinds of believers, a false believer and a true believer, and he talks about two builders, a wise builder and a foolish builder. And he brings it back to one question. Will you, are you going to be a fan or are you going to be a follower? And so I want to read to you. This is going to be kind of a lengthy passage of Scripture today. But I want to read to you the very first part of the Sermon on the Mount. And then we're going to, we're going to skip all the way to the end to see, to see how it ends. So I'm going to ask, just out of reverence for God's Word, if you're willing and able, would you please stand together as we read God's Word. We're going to begin in Matthew chapter 5, verse 2. Matthew records this. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And now turn over to Matthew 7. We'll begin at verse 12. And this is how he's ending the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. You'll notice a series of warnings and metaphors here. Notice what he says. Verse 12, so whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it, who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock 
And everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, it fell and it was great, the fall of it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not the word of God. It stands forever. You may be seated. You know, as Jesus was preaching and teaching, he really could read the crowd. And uh, he knew that he had them in the palm of his hand. He knew they were hanging on every word. They loved everything he said in the sermon. They knew it was true. Clearly, he made them uncomfortable at certain points because when you speak to the heart, that's exactly what happens. But there was one thing that Jesus also knew about the crowd that day. He knew they were holding back many of them most of them and I think what Jesus is trying to help us to see right at you know the end of the sermon on the mount is you really can't hold back you got to make a decision you got to really go back to the heart of the question am I going to be a fan of Jesus or a follower of Jesus you know there are examples all throughout scripture of fans of Jesus the one I was really thinking about was a, a religious leader a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus and Jesus was really creating a lot of stir in the communities that he was teaching in and working miracles in. And so Nicodemus had observed his teaching and observed what, what God was doing through, through Jesus. And so he went to him at night and alone, the scripture says. And he went up to Jesus and he, and he told him, he said, you know, Rabbi, we know you're from God because, because you know, a person couldn't do the things that you do and not be from God. And it's just fascinating because, because what we see is, is the gospel records for us that, Jesus, that, that Nicodemus goes to Jesus at night and alone. And I think the question is why? Why does he go alone and why does he go at night? I, and I think the answer is pretty obvious because, because really he comes to Jesus at night because he doesn't want to be seen with Jesus. He doesn't want to risk his status in Israeli society. He doesn't want to risk losing his position by being seen associating and conversing with Jesus. And so he's a big fan of Jesus, but he's not a follower. And so what does Jesus say to Nicodemus in return? He says to him, he says, Nick, you got to be born again. You got to be a follower. You got to let the, the spirit of God remake you from the inside out. And you must publicly identify with me. Now, what's interesting is you fast forward to the, to the end of the story, really. You, you find Nicodemus has become a follower of Jesus because he is the one that when Jesus dies, Nicodemus claims his body and places it in the tomb. But he didn't, he didn't start out a follower. He started out as a fan. And, and, so, and so Jesus always does this with people. He brings us right to the root of the issue. He brings us right to the core question. Are you an admirer of Jesus or are you a worshiper of Jesus? Are you a fan or are you a follower? So here's what I want to do this morning. I just want to take a few moments and talk about two differences between a fan of Jesus and a follower of Jesus. Just two simple differences that we see right in the text. I, I think a fan of Jesus really is half-hearted in their devotion to Jesus. But a follower of Jesus is wholehearted. Let me, 
Let me ground it in the text for you. Look with me at verses 13 and 14 of chapter 7. Notice, notice what Jesus says here. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, he says. But then he says this, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. So, so what you see is this strong contrast of ways. You see a strong contrast of gates. Jesus presents to us a wide gate and a wide road. Now what in the world does that mean? Well, I think it's pretty simple. What Jesus is really talking about is that the wide gate and the wide road is the way of most people. It's the way most people take. It's kind of the default reaction, right? It's the easy way. It's, it's uh, the path of least resistance. It's, it's just kind of where the crowd's going, you know? So it's pretty easy to lock arm in arm and just kind of do what the crowd does and, and uh, kind of follow along. And so that's what Jesus is really talking about with the wide gate and the wide road. But it's interesting because Jesus tells us the destination of the wide gate and the wide road. He says that it leads to destruction. It leads to the same place. And this is a clear warning about the reality of hell. And Jesus just lays it out there. And this is one of those instances where he's making the crowd uncomfortable. But then he starts talking about the narrow gate. And the harder way, the narrow gate and the narrow way. Now, what is that? Well, I really think that the narrow gate is Jesus himself. I mean, I think what we see in John 10 is Jesus saying, I am the gate and whoever enters through me will be saved. And, and then we also see in John chapter 14, Jesus saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one goes to the Father through me. So clearly what Jesus is trying to communicate, that he is not only the gate of salvation, he is the way of salvation. But here's what I want us to see in this passage. There's not a third way. Did you notice that? Like there's, there's the wide gate and the wide road, and the narrow gate, and the narrow road, but there's not really a third way. There, there's not a third gate. There's not a third option. There's not a third alternative. There's only just the two. And you see this again and again and again at, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. There, there's, there's only two ways that are being contrasted. And, uh, and so Jesus is giving the series of pictures because, again, he's, he's trying to move the audience to make a decision. You see that there's a narrow gate and there's a wide gate, but there's not a third gate. There's a bad tree and a good tree, but there's not a third tree. There's good fruit and there's bad fruit, but there's not a third kind of fruit. There's wise builders and foolish builders, but not another kind of builder. And I think this is where we really start to understand the true nature of a fan of Jesus they're always thinking about trying to create a third way when there's not really a third way that's possible. You see, they understood that the implications of the, the wide gate and the wide road lead to destruction. They didn't want that. But they also understood that the narrow way leads, leads to, a, to life, but it's a harder way. And as they considered that, they didn't want that either. 
And so I think what fans of Jesus do is they try to create a third way. Is there, is there some kind of compromise where we can have the best of the world and then the best of Jesus at the same time? Is there kind of a third way that we can create that won't be so difficult and it won't lead to destruction? And I think a lot of people try to create that. You know, if you were to ask fans of Jesus, do you believe in Jesus? They would say, yeah, of course, of course I believe in Jesus, you know, in my own way. And, uh, you know, they may even go to church every now and then. And they might even, you know, give something or they, they might even volunteer. Um, but the reality is, is, you know, if getting too close to Jesus uh, means risking something, like personal success at work or changing their lifestyle or giving up friends who are having a bad influence, if getting close to Jesus means uh, it's going to cost me something, then they don't want anything to do with that. And that's at the heart of what it means to be a fan of Jesus. They say hands off, because ultimately, someone who's just a fan of Jesus, they retain control of their life. They're in charge they're in control. Now, of course, they admire Jesus. They're inspired by Jesus, but they want to maintain a certain distance. They don't want the distance to get too wide because if it starts to get too wide, then, then that would be problematic. So what they do is they might up their church attendance then, or they might volunteer a little bit more then, or they might even give a little bit more at, at that point because they don't want that chasm to get too wide, but they also don't want that chasm to get too close either. Because then it, starts, then it starts to be costly in some areas. It, would, it might even feel uncomfortable. I think the thing about the f- fans of Jesus is they're really kind of like spiritual chameleons. You know, when they're around church folk, they know all the talk. They know how to put the face on. And they can talk the talk. But then when they get away from the church and away from their church friends, maybe they're on a business trip or maybe they're at school or on the ball field, then they don't want to do anything to be publicly identified with Jesus. That, that, that would be off limits. They just kind of want to fit in with the crowd. And what's interesting, the fans of Jesus find their ways as they mix and mingle with the two different groups. They find themselves feeling superior to both groups. They kind of float above them. They're kind of above the fray. They're better than those who don't go to church and they're more sophisticated than those who do go to church. But in reality, they're just hollow on the inside because they're firmly uncommitted to everything except themselves. And so really the truth is Half-heartedness is a deception. It's really an illusion. It's, it's really a lie. It's, it, it's convincing yourself that I can kind of have one foot over here and then one foot over there and everything will be really good. But it's just living a lie. That's what it is. I was reading about this, this gal in Missouri. Her name was Kendall Schleer. And uh, this was in Columbia, Missouri. But she was the very first one to cross the finish line at the Go St. Louis Marathon. And uh, 
she had the opportunity because she was the first one to cross the finish line. She had her picture taken with Jackie Joyner-Kersey, uh, the Olympic champion. She received a $1,500 uh, prize money because she, she crossed that finish line first. And she was automatically qualified for the prestigious Boston Marathon race. She got, a, she got an entry spot there. But something was amiss. She was disqualified when an official discovered that she had not actually run the race. She had kind of slipped onto the course and nobody even noticed her. And somehow, some way, she was the first one to cross the finish line as she pretended to run the entire race. As the official checked, he noticed that she never registered times throughout the race course. There were no pictures of her running the race. And she didn't even look that tired when she crossed the finish line. Something was amiss. And they caught her red-handed. She hadn't even run the race, but she was exposed. Now, can you just imagine just the guilt and the shame that she felt that day when she realized her lie that she had been living had been exposed? And see, that's the thing I want us to see today. Church, Jesus is where the joy is. Jesus is where the joy is. Living wholehearted for him, that's where the joy really is. You know, when we read uh, the beginning part of the Sermon on the Mount, you'll notice that nine different times Jesus repeats the word blessed. He said, blessed are you that, um, you know, that, that mourn. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Blessed are you who are who are." Uh, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And it's just interesting because he lists nine different times that word blessed. Now, what's, what's fascinating about that is that word blessed in Greek is happy. And what he's really describing at the beginning of, of the Sermon on the Mount is what it looks like to live wholeheartedly for Jesus. Your heart is all in. You mourn over sin. You hunger for righteousness. You hunger for God in your life. You hunger to be a peacemaker between two brothers who, who are at odds with each other. You're, you're, you're so anchored in the blessing of knowing God that it's okay that you're persecuted for righteousness sake because you have a, have a higher loyalty. And I think what Jesus is trying to say is Jesus is where the happiness is. Jesus is where the joy is. So here's the question. Have you devoted yourself to him? Have you gone all in for him? Or are you just a fan? There's one more difference between a fan of Jesus and a follower of Jesus. I kind of worded it this way. A fan of Jesus really just has a neglected obedience. But a follower of Jesus has an observed obedience. Now, what's really the difference? I think fans of Jesus, they, they, they neglect real heartfelt obedience. They, they, they just kind of never get around to living out God's will in their life. They, they never get around to walking in obedience to Jesus. But a follower of Jesus, there's a daily observable obedience in their life. It doesn't mean they're perfect, far from it. But there's something different about their life. 
And you see this in verses 21 and 23. Notice what Jesus says. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, as I've been kind of praying through this passage this week, church, this is one of the scariest verses in all of the Bible. I mean, this is, this is one of the hardest things that Jesus has ever said. Because basically what he's saying is there will be people on the day of judgment, and that's what he's talking about. That's the day that he's talking about. That there are going to be people on that day that will make a profession of Jesus. They'll make a profession of faith in Jesus. And they'll even point to some things they did for him in the course of their life. But they will not enter into heaven. Because Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. And I think what, what we're seeing here is, again, there's a huge difference between saying that you're a follower of Jesus and then actually really being a follower of Jesus. Jesus is really saying that there are, there are going to be people on the day of judgment who think that they're Christians, who think that they're followers of Jesus, but they're not. And the reason why is because they base the assurance of their salvation solely on their profession of faith and not on their practice. In other words, they base it on their ability to talk the talk, but they're not walking the walk. Now you could push back and say, well, Scott, well, they have works. I mean, they're, they're talking about casting out demons and they're talking about prophesying, which is kind of like preaching. And, and, and they're talking about doing mighty things in, in, you know, in God's name. Well, the essence of the gospel is not what we do for God is what God has done for us. That's the essence of the gospel. Jesus worked for us, not our work for him. And it seems like they're pointing to what they have done for God and not what God has done for them. And so Jesus says the one who does the will of my father is the one who enters the kingdom of heaven. Now, what is the will of the father? What is he talking about? Well, I think, I really think it's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, what we read a little bit earlier. I, I think the will of God is someone who is poor in spirit, where they recognize their own spiritual poverty, their own brokenness, their own need. I think the will of the Father is someone who recognizes their own sin. They mourn for their sin. They're sorry because of sin in their life. I, I think someone who does the will of the Father is is someone who's meek. They realize God's the center of the universe, not them. That, that's called humility. You see, someone who does the will of the Father is someone who hungers and thirsts after righteousness, someone who's merciful because they've received the mercy of God. I think, I think what he's describing there is a heart-level obedience. And it's a, a fruit that fl flows out of a heart that's been transformed. It's not a perfect obedience, but it's an observable one. It's a tangible one. It's one that you can see. And so it's an obedience that reveals a knowledge of the Savior. Not just knowing about the Savior, but really knowing Him and walking with Him closely. You know, I remember, uh, I remember the very first day that I met my wife, Luann. 
church. She's Luann Luck now, but um, I remember the very first day that I, I met Luann. I was a junior at Asbury University, and she was a high school senior at Perry Meridian. And, um, and she was doing a campus visit at Asbury, and, and, uh, and, um, and we, we'd been set up on a blind date. And so we were going out on a Friday night, and this was Friday morning. I had, I'll never forget this, I was getting ready to sit down and, and uh, sit in class. It was medieval philosophy I was taking uh, that day. And uh, one of our friends uh, saw me and was with Luann, and so she kind of ushered Luann right over to me and introduced us and said, hey, Scott, I want you to meet Luann. Luann, I want you to meet Scott. And I want to tell you guys, my eyes were wide open. The first thing that went through my mind was, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And I'm thinking to myself, she is one fine-looking lady. That's what I, that's really, fine is a word we used to describe someone who's beautiful back in the 90s. I know we don't really use it much anymore, but... Um, and I was thinking, man, the recruiting department at Asbury is doing an outstanding job of getting prospective students. So, so we, we met, and I don't even remember what I said. I mean, it was just a total blur as I was kind of lost uh, in her beauty that day. And, and, uh, and uh, we went out that night, and we connected. And, uh, but I didn't really know her. You know, I just knew there was a connection. And so uh, I started that process of just kind of getting to know a little bit about her and um, getting to know, you know, what high school life was like and kind of what she wanted to major in and why she was even looking at Asbury. And, and so we, 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 we started this process of just kind of getting to know each other. And I, I didn't really have a relationship. I, I didn't have a, a tangible uh, discernible relationship with her, uh, but but it it, it kind of started to to develop, and and over time, I started to get to know her better, and and uh, I started to learn more things about her, and and uh, we we finally entered into a an official relationship, and then I started really getting to know her hopes and her dreams and her goals and her fears and kind of you know about her relationship with God and all of those things. And then, and then eventually our relationship went to a completely different level as, as we got engaged and, and, and then we got married. And, and uh, we've, been, we've been married 27 years and um, we have gone through so many uh, highs and lows together. We have uh, got into some arguments together, but we've laughed, you know, 10,000 more times together. And, you know, we've, we've, raise children and are raising children together and we we help plant this this church together and and I, I just think about the fact that you know every single day every day our relationship grows and deepens to this day and there's no one on earth that knows me like she does and there's no one on earth that knows her like I do and uh as I think about over the last 27 years, you know, and even really because we dated four years before that. But as I think about over those 31 years, you know, the, the real difference between our relationship 31 years ago and the difference now is incredible. It's, it's just absolutely amazing. Like I, I only knew about her early on, 
But now, by the grace of God, I really know her. And you know, church, as, as your pastor, you know, one of my greatest fears for you is that you would just only know about Jesus, but not really know him. That you would just sit in the seat and applaud what Jesus has done. But you wouldn't get up and follow him and surrender your life to him. You see, there's, there's really an eternal difference between knowing about Jesus and really knowing him and walking and walking with him. And I, and I think... I think you have to ask that question today. Are you just talking the talk? Or are you walking the walk? You know, when you think about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, it, it means to be someone who's happy in him, someone whose heart is set in him, somebody who's, who, who recognizes their need for a savior, their need for grace, their need for mercy, and they hunger for his presence, they hunger for his truth, they hunger for closeness with God. That's what they want. And because of that hungering and because of the, the, the work of grace in, in your life, you're cleansed, you're, you're forgiven, your, your guilt and shame are taken away, and you're no longer living a lie. But you're walking in truth, and you have truth in the inmost part. And that truth sets you free. And you're not even concerned about persecution because you know that someone loves you so much that that love is just unshakable and unfathomable and so it doesn't matter what the world throws at you you don't even care about that because you found you found true love and so church I just want to challenge you today Jesus did not hold back for you he went all in for you he went all in he left his throne in heaven he took on human flesh he went to the cross so that you could have a relationship with him. So that you could know him. So that I could know him. So what will it be? Which road will you take? Which fruit will it be? Which path will you go? Let's pray together. I'm going to ask you just to, you know, close your eyes and bow your heads. And I, I just want to give you a few moments to respond. The Spirit of God is working here right now. And I want to just give you a moment to just respond to whatever the Spirit is putting on your heart, whatever He's raising to your mind and to your heart. And I know that a lot of you, many of you, most of you, have already committed your lives to Jesus. And, and I know you just need to talk to him right now. You, maybe you need to confess something. Maybe, maybe you need to recommit your heart to him. Maybe there's repentance. But whatever issue you need to raise, whatever issue he's raised, I, I want to just give you uh, some space to just kind of deal with that. Would you, would you just take this moment and and just breathe in the love and the grace of God around you right now. Would you just do that? Because he's here with you. He's closer to us than the air we breathe.
And then I want to speak to those of you who've never really clearly committed your life to Jesus. I want to speak to those just with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. You've, you've never confessed your sin. You've never repented. You've never crossed over from being a fan to a follower. And I want to give you a chance to make that commitment now. I want to, I want to give you a chance to just simply express that commitment today by, by just using your body and just standing up wherever you are. I want to give you that opportunity today. And what you're saying is when you, when you stand up, you're saying, God, I'm coming out of the crowd. I'm crossing the line from being an admirer to being a worshiper, from being a fan to being a follower. No more playing games, no more half measures. I want to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. So if that is your decision today, if that is your intent today, I just want, I want to invite you to stand just right where you are right now. Praise be to God. Anyone else? This is a safe place, church. It's the safest of places. Anybody else? Let me pray for you right now. God, I just thank you for these that are standing. Thank you for the work of your spirit, the work of salvation. Would you, would you confirm it now, God? Lord, would you see the profession of faith that's done just through an act of standing up in public and saying, my whole life, God, I give to you. My life, my time, everything I have, as best I know how, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to know what it's like to be forgiven, to be cleansed, to be set free, to receive salvation. And so, God, would you just, through the power of your spirit, would you work that today? Would you confirm that in those that are standing right now? We just, we just thank you that you are working in our midst. And we praise you. We just confirm with peace and joy commitments that have made today and you can be seated and so Lord God we just give you glory we give you honor and I pray that we would be a church that's just known as being real followers we're not perfect but God we're following hard after you and so we give you the glory we give you the honor and we pray this in Jesus name and all of God's people said amen and